Thanks for listening in today to our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. And so Hebron is the beginning of Abraham's dwelling in the land. Um, we see in Genesis thirteen eighteen that Abram moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, built an altar there to the Lord. Genesis 23, 2, so Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Uh, Genesis uh, 23, 19 says, and after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the, of, of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so Hebron has this special attachment to the very first patriarch, and that is Abraham. He's being called to, do, to go in and out and be uh, um, kind of a vagabond, a pilgrim, a sojourner throughout the land. But as he sojourns throughout the land, he always comes back to Hebron. He always comes back to Hebron. And so Hebron seems to be this launching point of what God is doing with his people, Israel, and the descendants after him. And so Hebron is also one of the cities visited by the spies of Moses sent out. And at that time, it was actually called uh, Kiriath Arba, meaning the city of Arba. This was a city that was occupied by the Anakim, which are what? Giants. This is a place of giants. So Hebron was a city of giants. Later on, became the city of giant killers because Caleb is the one that went in there and destroyed them. And so he inherited that land. And so now David, who is also a giant killer who killed Goliath, is now going to go and live in Hebron. This is a a new um, kingdom, uh, a new administration of God. It speaks of new beginnings. Um, when, they, uh, when, when Abraham comes in the land, he, he is dwelling around Hebron and in Hebron and has purchased land in Hebron. And then we see uh, here that when uh, Joshua comes into the land, that he sends out uh, Caleb to take what? Hebron. And so uh, it seems like this new beginning of what God is doing, and God is doing a new beginning with David, and he starts there in Hebron. So, verse 4, Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown the kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also repay you with this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened, be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So David is anointed by the men or elders of Judah. We're going to come back to this here in a moment. Um, But notice what David does first. Once he gets there, he's anointed. The first thing he wants to find out is about Saul um, and his sons, and particularly Jonathan. What what, what happened? What what transpired here? Well, there's these guys by the name of uh, Jabesh Gilead. You know them, yes. Um, uh, They were very valiant. They risked their lives. They went to Bet-Shane where the the bodies were were pinned up there on the wall, and uh, and they pulled them down, and they came back across the the Jordan, and and they buried them. 
and they gave them a proper burial and, and things like that. They burned their bodies and then buried their bones. And so David wants to reward them, and he wants to let them know that to the house of Saul in general, but particularly these guys, look, I know that you're very beholding to Saul, but I want you to know that I honor him as well. And I want to honor you for blessing him and his sons by grabbing his bodies and giving him a proper burial. And so he's reaching out. He's reaching out to the, to the, the, the men there at Jabesh Gilead, and, uh, and he wants to bless them. He wants to bless them. This just speaks of the heart of David. He wants unity. As we continue through this chapter, keep that in mind. He wants unity. He does not want division. And notice as he becomes king here, he doesn't start a bunch of wars with uh, Ibosheth that we'll find out here in a moment is Saul's other son that becomes king. Uh, you know, he, he, he's not going after him. And we see how the kingdom is brought to David and how he has the patience to wait on the Lord. Something that we don't really see David doing in the previous years during those 10 years or so, okay, is that he's um, very presumptuous. Um, he, he's, he's quick to do, and he's now learning again to inquire the Lord, to kind of wait on the Lord, let God bring it to him, things like that. So we have here uh, David being anointed as king here. Now, concerning David's anointed, anointing, this is not the first time that David has been anointed, okay? He was anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 13. Now he's anointed again here in this chapter, in chapter 2, by the tribe of Judah. We're going to see in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that he's going to be anointed again over all the kingdom of Israel. So we're going to see three anointings here with Israel. We see his career, David's career, kind of marks three stages. He's first being raised up to be a warrior. We see him in uh, Saul's army and, and the captain of his army and being able to go and destroy the Philistines and how courageous he is in battle. And so we see this warrior David uh, at the very beginning of his career. And then we see him become this kind of like tribal king here in Judah and then we're eventually going to see him high king over all the land. Now, follow me here with this picture, this typology that we see with this. David's early career is a warrior. David, we know, speaks of, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? We see Jesus' life here on earth is that he won the ultimate battle against Satan to make way for us to have right relationship and eternity with God the Father. And so that victory that we see there, um, we also see this victory here in Hebron, this time with David as chief king. This speaks of kind of the, the church age. It speaks of the church age that we today are chief kings of territory that God has given us. In your family, with your loved ones, in the place that he has placed you, we have been called to victory. Just like Jesus told Peter there in Caesarea Philippi, Peter, this was given to you so you understand upon this rock, okay, he tells him, and it's the rock of his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You're going to have victory. The church is going to have victory. And we're talking victory in the, in the lives of other people, in the way of souls, 
and, and standing up for righteousness, a light and a witness. We're not speaking of a physical kingdom here, but our victory is going to be a light and a witness in, in, the, uh, uh, in the eyes of other people. And we are being called to have victory in that. And so today we are kind of like chief kings and priests um, in, in our own households. Uh, God has called us to have victory, to be a light and a witness into other people. And then it comes down to David ruling over all of God's people, and so too will Jesus come and rule over the whole earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. So, after following that, see if you can follow this. I think David's progression here of the three anointings also speaks of the Christian life. And this, I hope, is a real eye-opener to you. How we grow as a believer in Christ, as we receive Christ, we are baptized into his service. We receive the Holy Spirit as warriors of Christ. In Ephesians 6, what are we told there? To put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we are in a battle. That's why. First anointing comes when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the second anointing comes when the Holy Spirit comes into your life in order for you to do what wage war is what you've been called to do. You are to put on the full armor of God. In Ephesians 6, we're told this. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. God has called us to battle. And we are to fight the good fight. We are to finish the race. We're supposed to keep the faith, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.7. And if we are faithful in our war, then God is going to give us small victories, in a sense, in order to, to be able to take that land from the enemy for the kingdom of God. We are here to be in that battle. And as we're faithful in that arena, he's going to give us more responsibility. Here's the thing. However you engage in this battle and you're faithful in the battle, it depends on how faithful you are in the battle down here that is going to provide you or give you greater responsibility in the kingdom to come. You do not earn your salvation, okay? But can I tell you something? You absolutely earn your position in the kingdom to come. Do you get that? By how faithful you are today. That's God's word all through it. If you think for a moment you believe in Jesus, and yet here's someone over here that believes in Jesus that is really doing things for the kingdom of God, and you're just sitting back, and then when you both of you die and you are before the judgment seat of God, that you're both going to get the same thing have the same glory when you're in heaven. You are so mistaken. That is not going to happen. And we're going to see spiritual giants in the kingdom to come. And when we find out their story, we're going to go, wow. And we're going to wonder why we're so puny in their sight. Is because, honestly, we did very little for the kingdom of God. And instead, we decided to be comfortable. That's what we chose to do. That's what we chose to do. Now look at this. I don't want you to try and compare yourself to somebody who's in Iraq right now that their light and a witness 
is a life and death situation. And the opportunities that they have there is kind of like, well, I don't really have that opportunity here. I guess I can go to the Hell's Angel bar and just start preaching the word. And I guess I will be taking the life in my own hands. And, you know, but it has to be where God is calling you. In Acts chapter 17, I want you to go there. Go to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul is there speaking to the men of Athens, they're in um, Areopagus, he says this. He says in verse 23, he says, For I was passing through, considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world, everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. This means that God predetermined that you would be born in the United States and live here in Casrock on this day. He pre-appointed that. He did not give you any choice not to be born somewhere else around the world. And he has given you boundaries. We're told right here, predetermined, appointed times, boundaries, um, uh, and the boundaries of your dwelling. You were born at this time for such a time as this. You were not born in the 40s. You were not born in the 1800s. I can't tell you how many times I have said this myself. Man, I, I really think I should have been born in the 50s. That's just my, who I am. I love that kind of music, this and that. You know, you hear people say stuff like that. No, you might wish anything you want. Oh, I think I was born in the wrong era. No, you weren't. By pre-appointed times, he has determined your boundaries. This is the exact time you were supposed to be alive. And this is the place that you're supposed to, be, to live. For what reason? He says right here, so they should seek the Lord. Everybody that was ever born was predetermined to be born in that place at that time for this reason, so they would seek the Lord. So when people say to me, and this is an old study and everything that you could look up on hard questions and solid answers, but it, 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 when people say, you know, there are people around the world that aren't going to ever hear the gospel, how do you know that? Well, 300 years ago, the gospel wasn't it. How do you know that? I look at, I look at Jonah going to Nineveh, a Gentile place. God sends an ambassador to this Gentile, uh, God-forsaken place, and they repent. The most wicked people on the face of the earth at that time. What they did to people <laughs> in battle and stuff like that is exactly what you're seeing right now with ISIS. Can you imagine? I got to tell you something. I really loathe ISIS, loathe them. My heart rejoices when I hear of a bombing that takes place and took out 50 of their soldiers and things like that. I rejoice at that because they are so wicked to the core. Now, the way I feel about ISIS is exactly like Jonah felt towards Nineveh. And I can only imagine if God says, okay, Dave, you're going to go to ISIS and you're, I'm going to go, I now get it. For the first time in my life, I now get it because I'm going to go, no. I've seen what they've done to your people. Just like Jonah said, right? 
I now understand for the first time ever, it's the first time I've ever understood why Jonah took the position he did. Because I've got to tell you something, if God sent me to ISIS right now, I'd be going, no. And honestly, I don't want to see him repent. With all the evil they've done, no. That is my attitude. I just want to let you know. And yes, I am pastoring this church, so you can pray for me. I get that. Okay? This is why I'm not perfect. Okay? Because I do. I get very angry at these things. And for the first time in my life, I understand where Jonah's coming from. And I don't think I've ever been able to say that before. I know I haven't. But I get it now. I totally get it now. But he has placed us in this place for a reason. God has not called me to the middle of Russia or the Philippines. Right? He's called me here to Castle Rock. And so I'm still responsible to be a light and a witness to where he called me, to deny the things of the world, to continue to be a light and a witness for him here. And the person that is standing up for Jesus there in Iraq, the appointments that they have there, so long as they're faithful with their appointments and I'm faithful with my appointments here, then yes, great will our reward be both of us. He's not going to get more or she's not going to get more because she was in a place that was under turmoil and life and death situation, and she continued to be a light. So long as I continue to be a light here and faithful with God's given me, great is my reward going to be as well. And here's something that I think is, is when I think of this, I, I, I kind of wonder, is, is everybody going to be the same height? <laughs> Have you ever thought of this? Is everybody going to be just as fast when they run? Is everybody going to have the same nose? I don't think so. I think that there's still going to be differences. This is the reason why I bring this up. Um, because I know many people who were born in this world with a lot of physical challenges. Maybe they're born without legs. Maybe they have MS. Maybe they have all these physical challenges. You know? And I'm kind of wondering, because they choose to worship God, walk with God, continue to be a voice for God, even in the midst of their physical hardship, it makes me wonder that when they get to heaven, they're just a little bit faster than everyone else and a little bit taller than everyone else and maybe a little bit more buffer than everyone else. Not everybody that has a physical calamity, but those who choose through that to continue to show the joy of the Lord and to continue to be a light and witness. You see what I'm saying? I want us to understand that you earn every bit of the responsibility that you're going to have in the kingdom to come. You earn it. And so if you have little responsibility, that is a a direct reflection of what you did here on earth. And we're only here for so many years. We're only here for so many years. And it should be a motivator. But we get so distracted with the things of this world and the comfort of this life. I, you know, and and, and so I just want us to understand this. That this is what God has called us to do. 
And so just like David, as he's faithful as a warrior, he's a faithful what God's given him and, and, and being victorious in that, and now he has the whole kingdom is what we're going to see. I do believe that that is, is the Christian progression as well, is, is again, you receive the Lord, you get that special anointing, the Holy Spirit comes into you to give that anointing to be a light and a witness, and how great is that anointing going to be as you use that faithfully of how you're going to serve and the responsibilities you're going to have in the kingdom to come. I want to exhort you with that. I don't want anybody to ever come through these doors and stay with us for a time and think that doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one year or 10 years and if you do many things for the Lord or not so many things for the Lord, we all get the same at the end. That is not true. And I do believe that that is an idea and a philosophy from the enemy in order to lull Christians to sleep. And it's just not true. And this whole garbage out there, your best life now, I can't tell you how true that is because of where they're going. You get that? That is because this is not our best life now. It's not, okay? I don't care what kind of blessing God blesses with, we thank him for it. It's not even close to what we have coming for us on the other side as we're faithful in what he's called us to do, amen? I have no idea where we are. Let's go back to uh, 2 Samuel. That is where we are, right? Verse 8, thank you. Um, so, now we're going to come to two main characters here. We're going to come to... Um, we're going to come to... Joab, and we're going to come to Abner, okay? This is the first time we've met Joab. This is the first time he's mentioned here. He's the commander of uh, David's army. You have Abner, who is the commander of Saul's army. And so we have these guys here. Abner um, was the one who brought David to Saul after David cut off Goliath's head, okay? Um, It was Abner that also helped Saul chase David to try and kill him. It was also Abner who David humiliated, if you recall, as they were encamped and and David comes in and throws a spear right next to uh, his, actually took the spear that was next to his head and a jug of water um, and then said, Abner, aren't you the one supposed to protect the Lord's anointed? How is it that I was able to come in and grab the spear and, and, you know, and have this jug of water? You know, so humiliated him there. So Abner uh, probably doesn't have a great love for David. Uh, and, and so, uh, so again, and Joab, this is the first time we meet him. Now I want you to go real quick to first, uh, Chronicles chapter two. So we know who Joab is, but in first Chronicles chapter two, we read this starting in verse 13, Jesse, who is David's father. Okay. Jesse begot Eliab, his firstborn then Abinadab the second, then Shimea the third, Nathanael the fourth, uh, Radai the, the fifth, Ozim the sixth, and David the seventh. Now their sisters, so these are David's, uh, David's sisters, Zeruai and Abigail. And the sons of Zeruai were Abishai, Joab, and Asahel. Okay, so Joab is David's commander of his army, but it's also his nephew. Abishai is also his nephew. 
and uh, Asahel is also his nephew, and they're all brothers, okay? Never can the bowels of darkness Neither death nor even that's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of Second Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. 